0: Your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest, coming now to Headphones in Your Ears.
1: Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm Russell Guest, your host, and joining me today is your other host and my good friend from Spokane, Washington, Brian Fry. How are you doing, sir? Uh,
0: Good morning and or afternoon, depending on where you are listening from.
1: Uh, how are you doing, man? Oh, pretty well, man. Uh, just uh,
0: excited to do this movie. This is one of my favorites.
1: I am also excited because we have friend of the show. We have Andrew Newman from Long Beach, California. How are you doing, Andrew?
2: I'm doing fantastic. Uh, first off, I'm pretty sure the weather here is better than the weather that it is for either of you two. And secondly, uh, like Fry said, this is one of my top five movies of all time. So I'm super excited for this podcast.
1: Fantastic. But before we get ahead of ourselves, we got to break the ice here. We got to get people to know Andrew at a deep personal level. So I'm not going to bother with your astrological signs or whether you like long walks on the beach. I'm going to cut to the hard hitting questions like what's the last movie you saw?
2: The last thing yeah. that I watched was rewatching Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, interesting. Any reason? Just, you know, recently Halloween, kind of in the mood, those kind of crazier movies, I guess. And uh, I'm a big fan of it. I remember watching it when it came out. And uh, it was funny because at the time I had not tried any variety of the substances that they do in that movie. And while I still have not done majority of them, I've at least now experienced a few more. But I still loved it being, you know, a very sober, straight-laced person at the time when I saw it.
1: But we can't stop here. It's bad country. (laughs)
0: brian what about you
1: what's your last movie
0: man i uh i watched this gem on netflix it's a recent uh posting it's called the king about henry v and it's starring uh timothy chalamet and uh rob pattinson and i gotta tell you i don't i don't think i could have enjoyed a movie more on a first watch just based on you know you don't know where you're Gonna see when you just click on a Netflix movie. It's usually pretty quality, but man, I really enjoyed that movie.
1: Ah, good one. I didn't know about that one. For me, my last one was the Carrie remake uh, with Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore. Uh, I enjoyed that. It's a it's a fair bit different, and I still prefer the original. But uh, coming off the heels of Halloween, uh,
0: Carrie is one of my favorite horror movies, and
1: I had to see the remake. So,
0: yeah, I think I actually ended up seeing that one in theaters, which is. I, I'm not a good uh, horror movie and theater guy. I, I'm almost always I just always feel like there's something I need to watch on one of the streaming services and I make it to the theaters so infrequently now that it's frankly shameful. but yeah, it's that's one of the ones I did catch in theaters and I thought that was a really good remake I was I was I was solidly behind that.
1: yeah. Andrew, name a character actor that you love.
0: I'll jump in if you need a minute give me a second think on
1: that, Brian, take this one first. who's a character actor you love?
0: This happens sometimes to him, so I don't want to like completely peg him as this, but my favorite character actor is probably Brian Cox
1: yeah, you have brought him up a number of times i I kind of say that doesn't surprise me, so that uh yeah,
0: yeah, big kinda of, kind of like Denahi. you know it's always the police captain kind of thing, but uh no by and large the the characters that Brian Cox plays are fairly similar and I, I do enjoy him.
1: Nice. I'm, I'm going to go steep a shimmy on that one myself.
2: Okay, I'm, oh, I'm just so having to uh, Google my... Uh, okay, Guillermo Diaz. Okay, interesting. Where would we know him from? Uh, you know him from Weeds and from Scandal. Uh, huh. He's also in Half-Baked. He's one of the, he's the Hispanic guy that's part of their crew in Half-Baked.
1: Oh, okay. No, I, okay, I, and I don't watch those weed, TV shows,
2: it, but yeah. In we, okay, well, first off, you need to watch Weeds. But then in Scandal, yeah, Weeds is good. In Scandal, he's like this kind of crazy, like expert CIA killer. But he pulls this off in a way that, like, he shows so much emotion. Of scenes, like the guy can really act. He's really, really good. The reason why it took me a second, I was like trying to remember his name, and then finally I remember. I have an internet in front of me. I can look it up by putting in Weeds and Scandal, and he'll tell me. (laughs) So. That's why it took me a second. Nice. What's your
1: worst movie rental experience from back in the movie rental uh, days, Andrew?
2: Uh, that one's, uh, I believe the movie is called Nothing But Trouble. It's uh, Chevy Chase and um, Demi Moore, Dan Aykroyd and John Candy. Yeah. Uh, we rented it uh, as a family because my parents were super excited because they were like, oh, we love all of these actors. You know, like this should be a great, And that still to this day is one of the worst movies I've seen of all time. And it was just, it was an awful experience renting it because like my parents were so unhappy afterwards that they basically, I think they went, took the movie back, asked for a refund so they could, or at least in exchange to watch another movie because they were so dissatisfied with how bad the movie was. And the guy at Blockbuster was like, You're not the first person to do this.
1: (laughs) Good, good. Uh, That's that's a good one. I I know that's a widely uh, disappointing movie for people. Despite the amazing cast, I surprisingly have not seen it in full. I've only caught bits and pieces of it here and there. It wasn't hooking me at the time, so uh, it
2: doesn't surprise me. If you need to have dental work done at all, I highly recommend watching either that or The Thin Red Line. Like... If, you're, if you need to see a movie that you haven't seen before, but you're also getting dental work done, put on one of those.
0: Okay. That movie gets so much hate, it's hilarious.
1: <laughs> uh, and if you had a cowboy name, Andrew, what would it be?
2: I think that that would probably be uh, Smug. <laughs>
0: okay. Didn't reach far for it.
2: it okay. Didn't have to.
1: <laughs> Today, what movie are we doing, Brian?
0: Uh, we are doing Tombstone wild west at its best
1: this movie comes out in 1993 it grosses 14.4 million dollars domestically it places it on the box office that year in 25th coming in behind the piano and ahead of the remains of the day the number one movie in 93 was jurassic park imdb gives it a 7.8 critics of rotten tomatoes give it a 73 but the audience likes it a good bit better and the audience scores a 94 percent on rotten tomatoes Tombstone premiered in movie theaters six months before the Costner and uh, Cosden's version of Wyatt Earp. So, Andrew, had you seen Tombstone before? If not, uh, what was your takeaway with it?
2: Uh, I had t- seen Tombstone before. I don't believe I saw it in theaters. I think I saw Tombstone shortly after, uh, like pretty much as soon as it came out on video. And since the moment I saw it, this has been one of my top five movies of all time. I have probably seen this movie at least a solid 50 times in my life. Like that's it's like, I don't even think I have to reach for it to be 50. It might be closer to 100.
1: So you own this movie and you come back to it frequently then?
2: Yeah, I think at one point I had it on like VHS, two DVD copies. And like, uh, had a poster up in my like dorm room in college.
1: Nice. What was on the poster?
2: Uh, it's the uh, just the it just said tombstone and was just like the uh,
0: the four of them walking. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I tried really, really hard because I had a really good reservoir dogs one that was uh, you're gonna uh, about uh, you're gonna bark all day, little doggy, or you're gonna bite. Uh, and I tried really hard to find one because I'd seen it somewhere of uh, the quote where he says, you gonna do something or just stand there and bleed? Nice. Yep. So I thought that would be really awesome posters, but I couldn't find that.
1: Fair, fair. And Brian, I, as you mentioned before, uh, you've have some background with Tombstone as well.
0: Yeah, I I don't remember when I first saw this, but I was this was probably one of the biggest entry movies into me liking westerns. Uh, growing up, when I was you know quite a bit younger, I always thought westerns were just something that. You know, my dad, my grandfather liked and that sort of thing. So I never gave them a lot of credence. And then I saw Tombstone and I saw Young Guns and I saw Wyatt Earp and all of these. I was just like, oh, these are really good. I should watch more of these. So, yeah, this was this was really like a a match lighter for me in terms of the genre.
1: A gateway drug.
0: Yeah. Gateway drug.
1: Yeah. You know, for me, I had not seen this one before, so.
0: Oh, dude. Shame. Shame. <laughs> no, no. You Shame. Know, I'm actually interested on that statement alone just because I know when I give people copies of Usual Suspects or something that I dearly love and I'm like, man, you don't even know what you're about to watch. That must be a cool thing to like be able to experience something like this for the first time. Now – Granted, you may not have enjoyed it. I'm just saying that the opportunity to like something as much as I like this and find it for the first time, I love that feeling. So I did enjoy it. And I also
1: like what perhaps like you were saying, Brian, I'm not necessarily Mr. Western guy. I have enjoyed some of Clint Eastwood's earlier works like, uh, you know, the, the Dollars Trilogy, Few Dollars More, Fistful of Dollars, and uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But I really haven't branched out too much beyond them. And, you know, as John Wayne stuff is on TV, it, it doesn't really hook me. And, like, kind of like you alluded to, like, you know, whether it be like the 310 to Yuma remake and stuff like that. Some, the genre never really hooked me, but I have to say, this one does, this is cut kind of above the rest. And I did enjoy this. I was also surprised to see that there's some history to go along with it. So that made it interesting as well. Yeah. I should warn everybody, though, at this point, we're about to get into the movie and we're going to have to talk about it. So therefore, there are going to be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen Tombstone, you're going to want to pause this. Go check it out. Brian and Andrew can't implore you enough to go watch it.
3: And we'll be back after these messages. It is I, the governor of the magnificent state of California. I am happy to endorse my favorite audio listening podcast show, The Retro Movie Roundtable. I enjoy listening to the multiple episodes of this fine podcast when I am working out on my glutes, hams, triceps, and buttocks in the gym. I need to stay strong so I can stop the fires with my muscles. Please help me in my efforts to be supportive to the gradual Movie Roundtable when you work out your body. It is very important to do this for yourselves. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review the show. You too can get muscles by giving the Retro Movie Roundtable a five-star review. Like the show on Facebook. Email to Roundtable at Yahoo.com. Take it from me, your 1967 Mr. Universe. This is something you are going to want to do for yourself. And we're back. Last morning, there will be spoilers that lie
1: ahead, so beware. Andrew, for those who haven't seen Tombstone since 1993... Why don't you give people at home a refresher?
2: more than happy to. This is the story of Wyatt Earp, the shootout at the OK Corral. And it's something that all of us, it's just such a common thing to talk about in popular culture that all of us at least know these names, right? The shootout at the OK Corral is a famous name, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's really important at this point, though, to to kind of take note that this is about a very specific time in Wyatt Earp's life. So the big difference between the uh, Kevin Costner... Movie and Tombstone is one is a complete bio, and one is just about a specific time period.
2: Very well said. This is specifically dealing with after he's left Dodge City, and he is now going with his brothers to try to make it without being a law guy in Arizona. And the how the movie starts out is we get there's a group called the Cowboys, which are a group of bandits. They all wear red sashes. And they find a group of Mexican policemen at a wedding, and they ambush them, and some things are rather nasty there. And then we get quickly to the Earps coming to Tombstone, and this is the story of how the Cowboys and the Earps, with along with Doc Holliday, end up clashing with each other. And over the course of the movie, things escalate way beyond what they should. There ends up being a shootout. Of course, our heroes, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, are much better at this than the Cowboys are. And then what ends up happening is the Cowboys come back at the Earps. Wyatt's brother dies, his other brother is injured. And then Wyatt Earp strikes back. And he and Doc Holliday go on a revenge tour and just decimate the Cowboys in so many ways. The reason why I've kept this relatively vague is we are probably going to go in depth on so many of these scenes with so many of the quotes that I didn't want to overdo it on the intro. At the end of the movie, there is a woman that Wyatt Earp has become involved with, and he finds her and he spends the rest of his days going and getting room service. Guys, let's jump in and talk about all the rest of the details.
1: Fantastic. I think one of the coolest things about this movie is that there are some very interesting characters, and they go together well. Uh, do you want to talk about the four brothers at all and the different personalities that they have? Andrew?
2: Yes. Okay. So, four brothers. We've got Kurt Russell, Wyatt Earp. We've got Sam Elliott as Virgil Earp. Uh, we've got uh, Morgan. And then uh, there were only three in this, correct?
1: Oh, you're right. Yes. You're right. The fourth yeah. is not a brother. Good Good point. Sorry. Three okay. brothers.
2: And three brothers, and then we get Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday, who when they say that scene stealer, he literally this is this movie is the definition of a scene stealer because I think at the time Kurt Russell was definitely considered to be the larger movie star of the two. And he gave way during the making of this movie of realizing how much how awesome Val Kilmer was and put him in position to succeed. It's like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar realizing, oh, maybe Magic Johnson needs the ball a little bit more than I do.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan I, of those 80 Showtimes Lakers, but uh, no, that's an excellent analogy.
2: <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that, Russ.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent analogy, uh, even though I, I'm not a Laker fan.
2: Oh, So getting back to the personalities, I think the uh, one of the great things that they set up really early on is that there's some enmity between Virgil and Doc in that Virgil doesn't exactly approve of how Doc handles things. But at the end of the day, when they need to go to battle, Virgil's really happy that Doc's around.
1: Yeah, more than happy. And so just such colorful characters. I mean, you have, you know, White Earp is this guy who is, Brian said it in this movie anyway, at this point of his life, he's looking to avoid conflict, get away from it, find whatever normal life is and live it make some money while he's at it and kind of I'm putting it all behind me, which is, I feel a common theme for Western movies of like guy who's tough and has that experience and then he's like drawn back into things. Like, you know, Shane is another good example of this, like where it's just like guy from a troubled past, you know, brings with him a certain set of skills.
2: So what's interesting about this is that on the historical accuracy side, uh, this isn't really true uh, so much in the, the person who actually really had much more combat experience is Virgil, Sam Elliott's character. He had actually uh, served in the Civil War, and he had, had a lot more experience being a peace officer than Wyatt Earp did. It's just that Wyatt Earp basically got it, got, had like only had one thing happen, and it was this big shootout at Dodge City that things went his way. So he was famous because of that story, but he wasn't actually the one that had like a lot of combat experience. That was actually Virgil.
1: No, oh, that's an interesting point you make there. Virgil's character,
0: Brian, what do you think about him? Well, we've uh, recently, very recently talked about my, my Sam Elliott love. So you can really toss him in on in any movie in this sort of uh, position and I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, but he is, he's, he's the gravelly older brother, you know, who's uh, kind of the voice of reason at times. And then he's really the one that, that uh, in this movie, at least pulls them into the, the conflict with the the Cowboys by becoming a, a police officer in tombstone. So, um, or sheriff, excuse me, actually, I guess it's town marshal. but uh, I just
2: yeah. wanted to say that it's really good to know that you and my mom have a very similar taste in men because she's a, she has a love affair for Sam Elliott. Also, Wow! Uh,
0: listen, I mean, Gray Fox. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> hey, in the Veterans Day episode, we we declared
1: him a member of the Mount Rushmore of mustaches. So uh, yeah, in, in this movie, he actually has that mustache. I, it, it, when we oh. were soldiers, it didn't feel right without the mustache.
2: I agree. It was a little weird. It's one of those <laughs> things where it looked like like it looked like he was like a dog with its head its fur shaved.
1: <laughs> you know how evil characters sometimes just add a mustache and then they're evil. I feel like evil Sam Elliott has no mustache and good Sam Elliott does.
2: No, I think like evil Sam Elliott has changed his mustache into like the curly Q1 from, uh, you know what I mean? Like the evil guy.
1: Whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But he's a character in this that, you know, he's just got a big heart and can't say no. And like when he sees this town that's out of order, he's he I got to do what's right. And, you know, I liked his character because of that.
2: I did, too. I will just say that I felt like it was hard for him to shine, given how awesome, like how awesome the rest of the cast is. And then particularly Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday, that like it's one of the few movies that he's not the scene stealer, I guess, is normally like I think of him as a guy who. Like, is constantly stealing scenes and has these great one-liners. And he doesn't have as many of the one-liners in this one as I think he does in other stuff.
1: That's fair. That's fair. And while while you're on the topic, we'll we'll take an intermission here on the brothers. And so uh, Doc Holliday, as you're alluding to, is the guy who puts a big stamp on this. You know, it's funny. Brian, you've always mentioned liking Val Kilmer. And I've always kind of been like, "Eh, I don't know, that Batman run was kind of touchy. The Saint wasn't that great. I feel like... You know, heat was over. I I, I am in the what? minority when I say it. I'm not I'm, I'm not a fan of heat. What? I don't like heat. I don't like heat. <laughs>
0: I'm just gonna let Andrew's indignation stand for mine too. So just, yeah, just keep like, going.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and uh, so coming into this, I was sitting there going like, well, he's okay in McGruber, So uh, I now get it though. This he's he's excellent
2: in this.
0: I I think if you whittle down everything you just said. You just said, all I heard was Batman wasn't very good.
2: First off, I love him in that Batman. So we, maybe we need to do an episode on that. But have you seen this movie called Top Gun before? Because
1: I'm not going to win any fans by saying this, but I also am not a big Top Gun fan. So
2: that, that, yeah. <laughs> Friendship I, again, Vel- over. Friendship <laughs> over. <laughs> From Man, I,
0: I, I just, I feel like it's overrated. <laughs> I'll toss in another Jim here just because I have to plug it any chance I get, but he is also excellent in a movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. It is a phenomenal film. It's a dark comedy, so it's right up my alley. So if you enjoy that sort of thing and you're a fan of Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, you should watch that like with the quickness.
1: Also, the biopic of uh, of uh, Jim Morrison, you know, I mean, oh, because, yeah, I guess
0: it, Yep. Uh, that, he's, uh, like
1: i said i just i don't have the I, everybody else is like going nuts about all of these things that i'm not on board with and so this is the first time that like i guess you and brian are like yay i really like uh val uh, val kilmore and i'm on board with you this time andrew
2: well that's good have uh, have you seen true romance no okay you should one because the, check out the cast on that and two he's in that and he's awesome small part but he's really good So let's talk about him here, though. Why don't you lead off, Russ? Because I have probably about a million. I could probably talk about for three hours straight about my love for Doc Holliday. You know,
1: I came in this movie, you know, expecting to be following Kurt Russell as the main character. But you're right. Uh, If there's a scene where uh, there's a bar fight about to erupt or there's a tense moment between Rico and him and they're uh you know bluffing each other at a a game of cards and Doc Holliday is definitely taking all the money and ruling the table out and I just loved his presence there his cool charm as well as uh nobody's gonna get the better of him either mentally or on the card table or with a gun or and there was this cool I've I've got total control of whatever situation I'm in And I'm not going to say the Fonz because like it's more it's more with it's like he's just so cool. And even though he's like suffering from tuberculosis and he's sweating and he's clearly not doing well, he's still the coolest dude in the room.
0: It's a it's a southern swagger that he pulls off amazingly in this movie.
1: Yeah. Okay. yeah, there you go. I was trying to I was trying to like think about it's like it's just like it's effortlessly cool is is a good way of putting it, which is why I was trying to go to the Fonz. But this is
0: different. I'll even I'll even rewind it uh, a different bar scene where he's playing poker in that first town and he's like, "Why, Ed Bailey, are we cross? Are you not my friend? I don't think I could take it if you weren't my friend." There, now we could be friends again. Puts his guns down. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then
2: Bailey goes for his, and he has, still has a knife, and he stabs Bailey in the stomach. Then like, uh, his girlfriend grabs, uh, then grabs all the money off the table, pulls her gun out, and it was just like such an awesome scene that he was so on top of everything that he could put his guns down, and he's known as you know being so quick, that he could put his guns down and use a different weapon when somebody else still had a gun.
1: Absolutely. And you know it just kept driving me nuts? That you know he, he, he's sitting there infected in the lungs with tuberculosis, and he's still sitting there smoking. I was just like, stop doing that!
0: Stop doing that! Well... I don't think that that was a, uh, a known cause of, uh, many ills back then. So it was not, uh, this was still back in time where people were like, oh, you have asthma. You should smoke. It'll help. True. <laughs> well, to be fair though,
2: though, there's the scene with the doctor where the doctor says like, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop staying out all night, you know?
0: Well, that's just, that was from a, yeah, that was from a complete bed rest point of view. He's saying you need rest and the drinking and the smoking and the nightlife all kind of went together. I'm not saying he was doing it specifically because smoking was known to actually do anything.
1: Fair enough. And the other thing I'm wondering is he's just like walking around town with TB like don't you get put in a sanitarium like from from sanatorium sorry I mean from, from this like isn't he getting all of his friends and his girlfriend sick? No. I don't
0: think it works like that. It's not air transmittable? I don't think so.
2: No, let, let, let's put it this way: they knew he had TB for a while, and he clearly did take part at the OK Corral and like was around for all these times. Were you gonna tell Doc Holliday that he needed to get away? Like you just said, he's a cool, Who's gonna tell him to leave? Right? That's, okay,
1: no, that's fair. Hey, if you've got a gunfight coming up, and in this town it could be coming up at any moment, I guess he is a guy you'd run on your side.
2: Uh, I think that the scene that I think is the absolute best of what he does is, you know, the opposing side has their own really badass uh johnny ringo uh who i think when we get into some of all of the favorite characters uh or you know, things other people have done he's a the guy who plays him is one of my faves but they're in a bar where they're in you know the the uh, card room area of the bar and they're trash talking each other in latin ringo pulls out his gun and starts doing gun tricks and showing how fast he is and how well he can handle his pistol and Val Kilmer just looks at him, follows it the whole time, and he's got this little shot glass with whiskey in it. He finishes it, and it's got a little handle on it. And he starts spinning it the exact same way Ringo did with his gun, and he does it everything down to a T. So even though he's drunk and can barely stand, he's still got the wherewithal to follow all of the moves that the guy did, saying that even in my drunk state, I can still memorize what you did and do the exact same thing. And I thought that was just a really like excellent scene of showing without actually showing violence of showing how awesome he is.
1: Yeah. That's the exact scene I was referring to earlier, Andrew, Mm -hmm. for sure. The brother that gets buried on this one a little bit though, is Morgan Eyre played by Bill Paxton. I mean, maybe it's just big personalities or whatever, but other than just being young and eager to latch onto whatever his brothers are doing, I don't I don't feel like I get this one as much. He's there more I guess to die and to light a fuse.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, he's definitely eager. I think he was like, you know, really showing that younger brother, I can I can do what you guys do. I'm cool like you guys are. Uh real quick, I did do a quick search on it. Uh TB is spread through the air. Uh I have no idea what they knew or didn't know about it at the time, but it says you are much more likely to get it or contract it from someone if you have a weak immune system. So I would probably say that given the state of filth that most people lived in in the West, there are probably were some fairly strong immune systems out there. And maybe that's why he's not just passing it off to everybody.
1: I guess you're right. Everybody who's alive at this point has a tough, tough immune system. Otherwise they died at age two, I guess so.
2: So Russ, going back to Bill Paxton as Morgan, he does actually have what I assume to be your favorite line in the whole movie. I assume that your favorite line in the whole movie is, hot damn, this bird is jumping.
1: That is not it. No, no. But that's I mean, there's a lot of good lines in this movie, but no, it's not it's not it's not specifically
2: because you're from Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, this berg is jumping. I figure it's like, oh, like, come on. That line is like, it's funny because we all know what that means. But could you imagine if any of your friends actually said that line to you? If like we've got this <laughs> and I said, "Hot damn, this berg is jumping." You guys would be like, you, you either better be quoting Tombstone or what is the matter with you? Why are you talking like that?
0: Well, I know, <laughs> I know personally that's what Russell says every time we're driving by a brothel too. So. <laughs> Every time that has happened, I have said that, and I've never said that.
2: <laughs> well, I guess we know what we're changing on Next Vacation.
1: So one thing that didn't work for me as well in this one, and I'm, I'm going to guess that I'm going to get a little bit of pushback on here. I didn't think the Josephine character played by Dana Delaney is... Uh, I For me, this part of the story wasn't working as well, partially because White Arp's character has a wife already with Dana Wheeler Nicholson, who is from Fletch, by the way. I kind of felt bad for her. They show her in a, several scenes, like kind of coming onto the scene of just like him oogling and eyeing over Josephine, who's just come into town, and she's sad about it. So
0: she, then she goes and does opioids, and then later dies. So oh, that 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 was going on before Josephine arrived. She she was she was already a drug addict when that started. He indicated like, oh, are you hitting that again? Uh, and uh,
1: yes, you're right. They alluded to that that had happened beforehand, but I guess it, it's it makes him seem less savory than if he were alone and single and this uh, starlet from the big stage had rolled into town. He was captivated by her somehow. uh, Again, the frolicking uh, horseback ride through the woods and stuff like that, it didn't sit as well with me on uh, just knowing that it's like, hey, your wife's at home. I mean, yeah, she's probably like on drugs or something like that, but maybe you can work on that and stop doing that and I don't know like they didn't portray him to be in a dead end marriage necessarily when they were standing at the train station meeting everybody else's wife so at least on my first couple of passes through this movie I didn't sit there and say like ah what a nice love story
0: I think what they were trying to portray from early in this movie is that their relationship wasn't doing well it was not a healthy relationship he wasn't really happy that she was still using the stuff like he kind of quietly talks down to her a few times on, on, on the drug use thing. And she's kind of bedridden most of the time because she's on it. And I think it's, I think he got lured, lured away. Okay. So, so here's something we need to
2: try to talk about from a historical accuracy point real quick that, uh, movie only very vaguely alludes to. So the Earp brothers and among their many business ventures in the territory of Arizona, one of them is that they were pimps.
1: Mm. Did not know that?
2: Yeah, so when Ike Clanton says, y'all a bunch of pimps, that's actually in reference to, at least for a little while, that was legitimately one of the things they were doing. I think that at, the wife, initially, I think that there is some speculation that she had been a prostitute prior to getting with Wyatt, and that he therefore had some concerns about the long-term health of that relationship.
1: okay okay well that, that that helps
0: they they kind of alluded to it in the in the movie too where he was you know they he'd said something along the lines of uh she was no angel when we got together and neither was i yeah
1: yeah i guess i guess but i mean it wasn't like they all met at the strange train station it was like hello brother how's your hooker wife my hooker wife's doing great Oh, great. Your hooker wife's doing great? Okay. Everybody's <laughs> hooker wife's is
2: happy. <laughs> are you trying to sound like Terrence and Phillip? Because <laughs> you totally sounded like Terrence.
0: Terrence, how's your hooker wife?
2: My hooker wife, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes.
3: Yeah.
1: 60 episodes in and that's our first fart joke. Yes, it's too late.
2: <laughs> the story is, is that if you get a hooker wife, you're going to be really awesome at fighting and people are going to make a bunch of movies about you,
0: right? Just don't let her use the dr- opium.
1: I gotta say though, if they're pimps, laud- then their then, then, then their pimp hat game uh, game is is weaker than it should be. Oh. Instead of just having cowboy hats, they should be like you know orange and black zebra striped uh, cowboy hats with uh, <laughs> uh, sequence around the edge of them.
0: Oh lord! I will <laughs> say this that that actually, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm gonna save that. Never mind. <laughs> just a step back. Never mind. <laughs> I'm just picturing the secret. You know. You know what?
2: Actually, what they really should do is get more something closer to what Michael J. Fox wears in Back to the Future Three, <laughs> because the, the red, the red and pink one that you know that he wears in Back to the Future Three, because Doc all it, because Doc has no idea. Like that would be awesome. <laughs> okay. So just on that, actually, on the attire, real quick. How awful. Do you think it must be to be in like shooting in Arizona and it's like 80 degrees something during the day wearing these huge long black trench coats?
1: Yeah, the, it, it was wildly hot. And these these are wool that they're wearing in addition to that. So, I mean, uh, for sure, it, it, it's hot to say it uh, to say the least.
2: We can get back to the pimps. Sorry.
1: OK, sorry. <laughs> Brian, any other thoughts on the story here? I thought it was interesting that uh, the actual OK Corral shooting was a real thing that was actually reported in the paper. And even the the line of, uh, you know, the cowboys yelling at point blank range. I got you, Doc. You son of a bleep. He apparently actually even said, uh, well, you're a daisy if you do. Uh, I guess that was an actual historical line. So uh, that was fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can always uh, say, like, okay, they, they weren't quick to witticisms or anything like that. But I I could take just about any line from this movie as gospel if you told me it was true. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, yep, I believe he said that. Did you
1: like the bad guys with Curly Bill and Johnny Ringo and uh, who's the other
2: guy? Ike Clanton.
0: Yes, thank you. Yeah, and Ike. And there's Bill, Billy. Billy Clanton. Thomas Hayden Church's character.
2: And then there's the other uh, Billy, who's the guy from Northern Exposure and uh, Sex in the City.
0: Anyway, as far as your question goes, Russ, Powers Booth is awesome. He's another guy that I like a whole lot, and mostly uh, that started because of this movie. You know, he's also in uh, Watchmen. I don't know why I'm blanking so hard right now, but uh, Sin City. Heck, he even made it into an Avengers movie for World Security Council before he passed. So anyway, that was a a big loss, man. Uh, Curly Bill's character was was awesome in this. And in an effort to not uh, overlap with anybody else's favorite quote, I actually went with a Curly Bill quote.
1: I guess we've taken most of your cast rundown, but do you want to pick up any of the leftovers?
0: Uh,
2: John Corbett was the guy I was thinking of. He's 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 one of the guys that runs out after the shooting at the OK Corral. And then when mm. Curly Bill gets shot, uh, killed by Wyatt in the stream, uh, he's one of the ones that who's there also. I think he might die in that scene. But he's from My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Northern Exposure, Sex in the City. Like there's so many there's so many good actors in this. Uh, Terry O'Quinn. Like, oh, that guy. OK.
0: I'll touch on a couple here just uh, because they, they're relevant to some of my uh, future superlatives and whatnot. In addition to the people we've already talked about, and if I touch on somebody we've already talked about again, my apologies, there's actually uh, Wyatt Earp's fourth cousin in the movie who's also named Wyatt Earp. So thought that was a cool thing. He plays Billy Claiborne. Billy Zane as Mr. Fabian. He's kind of the... Uh, sidekick for the the play performance and everything so he didn't have a huge part but you know it's definitely worth mentioning he's in it i'm kind of doing this from the bottom up too uh billy bob thornton of course is johnny tyler that's a fat billy bob thornton too can, I can, might can we add.
2: talk about that scene for a second i think that like this scene it's such a pivotal scene to me of setting it up and i don't know if you guys knew this but billy bob thornton wasn't given any lines really they just basically told him to like they said just be a jerk
0: so when he's sitting there and saying, will
2: you shut up? You're more annoying than my sister's kids. Like, this is just Billy Bob Thornton. Made-
0: Back that queen again, I'll blow you right off that
3: stool.
2: And I just think that that scene where he just comes over and he's just so, Kurt is so confident. And Billy Bob Thornton goes from being such an arrogant asshole to being quiveringly scared so quickly. I thought that was just phenomenal acting by Billy Bob Thornton. Like he like plays off of Kurt Russell amazingly. There, letting Kurt Russell dominate him and doing it in a way that like is really believable that he's made this switch that quickly to being like, I'm the the bad guy. I'm the bad person around here to being like, Oh my God, I'm going to let this person smack me in the face three times and do nothing.
1: Yeah, you're right. And it shows you that they're coming in a town that is very, I guess you could say, wild, there's no order, and they have the presence to hold their own no matter where they go, even in this lawless town. So you're right, that, that establishes right away that the, these guys aren't taking crap from anybody. In fact, soon they will be running the town.
2: Every town needs a pimp, right? That's right. The
1: pimp of (laughs) town.
0: So just a couple other ones I wanted to uh, touch on. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church is Billy Clanton and Stephen Lang is Ike Clanton. I have tremendous respect for both of these guys. Charlton Heston is also a cameo in the movie as uh, Henry Hooker, the ranch that they take uh, sick Doc Holliday to toward the end, and I thought it was just worth noting that he was in this just because he was a Western star in his own right through most of his life. We've already talked about the the lion's share of everybody else, but uh, Powers Booth, of course, is uh, Curly Bill uh, Burgess, Burgess. And uh, Michael Biehn as uh, Johnny Ringo, as the the two leading uh, antagonists of the film.
1: Yeah, and you got Paula Malcolmson and uh, Lisa Collins as the other hooker wives, as we're calling them, which may or may not be true. But it does explain something, that I thought all of these guys have disproportionately hot wives.
2: (laughs) So what you're saying is that you personally find hookers to be disproportionately hot?
1: Well, I'm just saying Sam Elliott's wife is like (laughs) two decades younger than him. And uh, Sam Elliott, yeah. okay, yeah. So I was going to say, Sam Elliott's wife looks like he's uh, young enough. To be his daughter and nothing wrong with that hey the president says says that 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 guy that guy's a winner
2: <laughs> don't you remember that book that came out uh like the oldest lover living confederate wife and it was that like her husband had been in the civil war when he was like 13 and then when he was like 60 he married her when she was like 13 so then when she was like oh, 80, she's the oldest living Confederate wife.
0: And this goes back to wardrobe yes. too. I mean, Dana Wheeler Nicholson. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, how did that go back to wardrobe? <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Russ.
1: Dana Wheeler Nicholson. Again, this goes back. This goes back into that. Not, not to keep hammering the same point, but uh, she doesn't look like she's like, strung out on opioids about, like, you know, weeks away from dying. So uh, that was another thing that threw me off there as well. Uh, she makes opioids look glamorous. She just, like, laughs a little bit in bed at one point And it's like, ah, ha, ha. It's like, then later on,
0: she died. Wyatt, leave me alone.
2: Well, the critical scene where things really start going bad is when uh, Curly Bill has gone to an opium den and is off his rocker and shoots the current town sheriff. Right.
1: Thank you for clearing that up. I wasn't sure what it, he was on actively. So that was opium that was leading him to, to end the situation.
2: Yes. Uh, so just okay. from a historical perspective. What basically what happened is we had mass immigration from China. And the big part of the big reason was Chinese immigrants uh, helped build the ra- railroad in the opposite direction. We all know of all the stories about, you know, the relatively waspish people building the railroad going west. But the railroad met in the middle, actually. And it was Chinese immigrants who came over in rather large droves that helped build the railroads going this direction. Well, very quickly, with them, they pretty much brought opium dens to every town in the portion in the Western United States that had a Chinese population.
1: Oh, that was nice of them. I mean, hey. Mm-hmm.
0: Cur- Curly Bill was on Smokium, and Matty Earp was on Drinkium.
1: Yes. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> uh, so what do you guys think about George P. Cosmetos, the director who, I guess he replaces Stephen Lang as director in in the production of this movie.
0: I'm really curious about what this movie would have looked like if Stephen Lang had stayed the director. Uh, I feel like I keep getting drawn back toward this. He's, he's part of my superlatives toward the end. But uh, uh, suffice to say, Stephen, I'm a big fan of Stephen Lang. George Cosmetos
1: uh, uh, claims that he was drunk for most of the filming and... Uh, that's, I guess, not uncoincidentally why I guess he lost it. The emotion was the most important thing in the movie, uh, Cosmetos said, and uh, if you care about your people, you have a movie. And uh, he alluded to that with Stephen Lang, they didn't have one, so... uh I don't know. Uh, there, there's a lot of unclarity uh, for me on this one. As I read, read into it, Kurt Russell takes over a fair bit of the direction duties himself. And Cosmetos is uh, almost a supporter for role of Kurt Russell to see this movie through the rest of the way. So interesting, muddy Hollywood director, change of hands kind of story.
2: OK, so just so we're clear, uh, they, they were originally this was started being directed by the guy who uh, wrote Glory, right? And then after the one month of shooting, the only scenes that they had finished, the only thing they had done, were the scenes with Charlton Heston on Henry Hooker's ranch, which is like what three minutes of the movie, four minutes. Yeah, just about. So, after a month of shooting, that's atrocious. They drop that guy and they bring in Cosmetos. Is that how you pronounce it? Cosmetos. Cosmetos. The reason why supposedly, is because. He is a great yes-man as a director. And behind the scenes, Kurt Russell was actually staying up all night, coming up with all the shooting, like the shot, you know, we're, tomorrow we're going to shoot this, 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 and this. And he actually gave, once he realized how good Val Kilmer was doing, he actually like let a bunch of his lines get cut and didn't even shoot them just because, so that they could folk keep the story moving along, meet the shooting schedule that they now needed to be on, and make them a really good movie.
1: I misspoke. Stephen Lang was not the one who was replaced in this. It was going to be, I guess, Stephen Lang. But Kevin Jerry there is go. the guy who, who starts the production behind schedule. So I'm sorry, but, Stephen Lang. I so
2: correct I, myself here. No, no. So Stephen Lang was drunk. Stephen oh. Lang was drunk as an actor, if I understand uh... Okay. He has ne- so
0: I- oh, well, that's, that's probably true because his character was drunk the whole movie.
2: Maybe that's why no shooting got
0: done.
1: <laughs> okay. All right, then. But anyway, Kevin Jerry was the original director who was replaced by Cosmetos. And then, yes, Russell has alluded to the fact that he had a lot of responsibilities for seeing this one through.
2: So there's a, a slightly more to that story in that supposedly what Russell made a deal with him is he said, I won't tell anybody until like a decade after you're dead, until after you're dead, that I was the one who actually directed this movie because, like, that was their secret handshake deal. And so then Russell waited until, like, a decade after he dies and says, yep, you know, I did most of this and explained quite a bit of it. And then Val Kilmer, in another interview after this, basically backs him up and says, yeah, let's just say that while my memory isn't exactly 100% with Kurt Russell's, there's no way this movie gets made at all if it's not for Kurt Russell. Like, fair to it. That's very fair. But I think he means more than just, like, his acting. I think he means that, like, he did tons of stuff on the behind-the-scenes.
1: No, you're right. Uh, I think there's talk of Russell, after the director change goes through, he removes a lot of stuff. There was a lot of other separate storylines, tangents, and stuff going on. And uh, I, to, to this movie's credit, there are a lot of characters... And personally, I do have a hard time getting situated at first. And my first pass to this movie, I was like, wait, who are these guys? Wait, who are these guys? But once the players come into play, the story has pretty good focus. And upon a second watch, it goes down pretty well. But I will admit, certainly in the beginning of this, I was having a hard time keeping tabs of, wait, who's who? What is it? Wait, who's what?
2: You, you need Western name tags?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just so public domain that you should just know who Doc Holliday is. But like, he's like, I'm Doc Holliday and then you you should know, but I didn't know. I had to do, I did some history looking up after the fact, and I now know about Wyatt Earp more so, but this was my introduction to the character.
2: Oh, wow, okay. So I guess maybe that's uh, at least the difference for me, having grown up in South Dakota and Colorado. You learn a lot more about, like, you know, history of the Western United States and Westerns, right? There's a reason they're called Westerns, I guess, and not Easterns.
1: That's right, and I guess I'm, I'm too much of an Easterner.
0: All the great Eastern movies of the film past.
1: (laughs) Cosmeto said of making this movie, all machine guns and helicopters don't mean anything. It takes research and hard work and watching old movies to be able to do this. As the new director, he brought a demanding hard-nosed sensibility to the set, which led to conflicts with some of the crew members, most famously with the cinematographer William Fracker. I guess he was more of a stern guy, and it's kind of interesting that, to what you're saying, Andrew, of... You know, if Kurt Russell is kind of leading this stuff behind the scenes and Cosmetos is more of the S-man, it's interesting that he kind of did have this, I guess, as they said, hard-nosed sensibility to him.
2: Well, think of it this way. As a director, you basically have two jobs. You need to be creative and you need to tell everybody what to do. Be a manager. Right. Sounds like he was pretty good at being a manager. Sounds like maybe the but the creativity aspect of like knowing what to tell everybody to do. He didn't know so much. But once you give him, you know, to say, hey, this is what you need to tell everybody to do, it sounds like he did a pretty darn good job. I think, didn't he t- have a similar thing with Rambo, Two, where he came in and worked on it? And basically, like, there's speculation that he wasn't 100 percent the guy who is actually the brains behind the operation. But because he's such a good task manager, still got stuff done
1: interesting that would make that would be very congruent with both of these accounts then so that, that 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 does probably make
2: sense I thought I saw something alluded to that but to be honest I was so tombstone focused uh, that I didn't like go down that rabbit hole I probably should
1: have What do you think about the storytelling Brian I mean is it uh, coherent to you or is it too many things at one time or does it work nicely for you?
0: I've uh, I've actually read a fair amount of books on Tombstone and Wyatt Earp, both fiction and nonfiction. But one of the things that got me about this movie is there are some subtle but fairly stark discrepancies between Costner's Wyatt Earp and Russell's Tombstone, and uh, not that that matters at all. They're both you know pieces of fiction. You know, just more my my own curiosity, wondering how it it did go down because in this uh, in tombstone you have more virgil taking on the responsibility of town marshal than that becoming an issue with the cowboys who are known to be the law around town whereas in in wyatt Earp, uh kevin costner is you know saying there he's the one saying there needs to be law and i'm not backing down from these guys and it was less to do with his brothers getting involved they sort of went with him on it, you know, just stuff like that. So in terms of storytelling, I'm look, you can make a hundred of these movies and I'll likely watch every single one of them. And you can have minor differences or creative flourishes wherever you want, but still phenomenal film. That's a good point.
2: Uh, I was just going to say on the storytelling. I thought, I thought that the pacing for the amount of information that they choose to get through was pretty phenomenal. I think that, Okay, so for example, in the beginning scene where their cowboys ambush the Mexican police and slaughter the wedding, McMasters has that, it's just the one scene, just the one quick look at his face, but he looks away in disgust, like, I don't really want to be a part of these people, you know? And right. then when, at the end, he then turns from the cowboys and goes off, you know, riding with Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday on the revenge tour. it Just because of that one scene, we then it makes sense when he's like, not after tonight. No, we don't. We're not with them anymore. Like all it took was that one. Boop. And so that's part of the reason why I think the storytelling is so good is because they get so much information done in a pretty short amount of time. Considering. That's fair.
1: You You are right about that. And I felt I felt like it the the movie started off in a confusing fashion and i honestly felt that the end felt rushed because you know uh, you go from this really big climax of the shootout with doc holiday and johnny ringo and the next thing you know you're in the sanitarium and it's just like like and then then it's over and it was like oh this this whole gathering up all the cowboys and shooting them up kind of things there's like maybe a a chapter of this that uh t- to like brian's tendency to always want want more I kind of wanted to
2: see a little more of that vendetta.
0: I am 100% behind you, Russ. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
2: Now, if we redo this movie nowadays, this movie is not a movie. This is a... Call it an 8 to 10 episode series on either Netflix or Hulu. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Because it's like that middle episode when you actually have the shootout at the OK Corral, right? That one's going to get huge ratings. But then you still have other more episodes like they could hbo could do this game of thrones style
1: that all makes sense and like i said uh today movies have turned into the trilogies which is more like tv and tv is are have an ever-expanding budget and are more like movies so what you're describing is the ever-blurring lines of tv and movies
0: well i think this is probably a goodest time of any to talk about this but one note i do have for this movie is is Palm Star Media has purchased the rights for two of uh, Mary Doria Russell's uh, books on Doc Holiday, with the intent of making them into a film. Both books, uh, the books are called Doc and Epitaph, and they have already cast Jeremy Renner as Doc Holiday. And I'm like, yep, I'll see that.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, you're a big Jeremy Renner guy, if I recall.
0: Yep, I'm like, I'm game.
2: I guess I don't really see him playing a character that has good aim
1: (laughs) we're in the wild west and to me this town feels i don't know i don't know if there is a good way of doing this or not again maybe andrew your western uh, wild west history is better than mine because i don't that is honestly a part of history class that i don't get a heavy dose of it feels like this is just your typical western movie set Is that a fair statement? You know, one main street up the middle of town, wood boardwalks and stuff. But then oddly enough, fairly extravagant interiors, which is always a bit of a surprise given how shot together everything else seems to be. Some of
2: these things are really accurate. You know, for example, the tombstone (laughs) that they have in the movie that says uh, here lies Lester Moore uh, shot by a 44.
0: No less, no more.
2: Uh, So there's two of those that exist. One that's actually real in Arizona, okay? Like that's a real, like was a real tombstone. And then out here in California at Knott's Berry Farm, uh, they have a western part, and that's actually where they film a lot of stuff, but it's taken from that original. They saw Somebody saw it, and then when they build Knott's Berry Farm's western area, they put that in as a replica of the original, and that's the one that they use in Tombstone. That portion of it was shot here at Knott's Berry Farm in Orange County. So the I think from the sets and everything I think they did a really phenomenal job of trying to trying to capture that juxtaposition between basically this town was just tense port in portions of it not that long ago and now you have you know these casinos and brothels and whiskey and all the stuff coming in and trying to show that uh, I think it's hard to do and I think the one thing they could have done a little better job Is that a lot of the cowboys weren't just cattle thieves? That a lot of them were actually cattle ranchers, and that was the it was basically the issue was the people who who live out in the country versus the people who live in the city. The herps were the city boys, and the cowboys were the people who live out in the country, and that was a lot of the anger between the two groups or the class warfare, I guess, if you want to call it.
1: That's good insights there. Do you feel like this would be accurate for Tombstone, Arizona at this point in time, which was, I guess, a booming town that had, you know, gone from very small to increasing in size all of a sudden?
2: I I think it is. I think that uh, they tried really hard to get as many things as accurate as possible. Obviously, they can't, you know, it's a movie. They're not going to be able to get everything. But they tried, you know, like, they tried really, really hard to not have things that were unrealistic for that time period so i think this is as good as probably as good as you could get by the way for anybody listening who likes history uh, check out the book called not so wild wild west it's about the basically the myths about the wild west that we have and uh, it's pretty interesting
1: brian one thing i did like in this movie was the end scene with the contrast of going to the wintry scene at the end were there any other unexpected scenes like there's some forest scenes in this as well like where the big shootout is and the trees and stuff like that there's a little more variety than your typical western
0: absolutely so i i have a a limited experience in arizona but i can tell you after driving from uh, albuquerque new mexico to flagstaff you see well you see a lot of the same thing but then you definitely see the variations that you can get in in both states i i would say that that's that's as accurate as you could probably be
1: yeah, I like that it wasn't just a dust bowl. Somehow, when I watch a Western, the fact that everything's all tan and dusty and, you know, just everything's made out of wood and everything's just covered in dust. Sometimes it actually wears on me a little bit. I didn't have those moments of whether it be the horseback ride, which I'm not a fan of that scene. As I mentioned earlier, I still liked the change in scenery quite a bit. And I really like the wintry finish as well. It's a It's a nice contrast to show you that they've traveled elsewhere and that they are traveling the world.
0: Up in Alaska.
1: Yeah. Yeah, traveling the world and, and enjoying room service. So
2: I think, that's a, I think that's a good point that too often in the, the westerns, they try too hard to make everything, you know, too dustable. Obviously, it's not all desert because if it is, you wouldn't be sitting there walking through it like you wouldn't choose to live there, right? Right. So there is stuff that's non-desert around and it's just there's a lot of desert.
0: You know, I just realized I, uh, I messed that up. Uh, the end of, uh, Tombstone is in what, Sacramento with the snow and the end, the end of Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner is when they're on the ship in Alaska.
2: Thank you. I thought that was correct, but I didn't want to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought about it for a minute and realized my mistake. I've watched both of these a lot.
1: I was talking about the Arizona, like so they shot on location and uh, this is where I I just wanted to point out to earlier what you were saying. It is 134 degrees Fahrenheit, 56 degrees Celsius, by the way, for our European listeners, which we have more of all the time where we appreciate you. So they are wearing black wool in in 134 degree Fahrenheit weather in that birdcage theater scene full of people, unair conditioned That doesn't sound fun.
2: No, that sounds like nowadays the opposite of fun. (laughs) <laughs> I think, like no people would riot somebody would get killed just from that like people would be like i can't be in this heat
0: you you might shoot at billy zane too that but see that goes into another thing you know we talked about uh briefly about immune systems and stuff like that just being used to a different thing i mean i'm not saying that it's it's right but i mean they didn't even know what air conditioning was back then so at that point if you're just warm all the time then it doesn't become weird that you're hot you know what i mean Oh, add a
1: mustache on top of that, because uh, apparently all the mustaches in this movie are real.
2: So regarding, you know, the time period, uh, one of the things most people don't realize is dying from heat wasn't really a thing. The big concern was dying of cold. So that's the reason why everybody's got all this wool on, because they're like, yeah, I can live with being hot. If I get, if I get cold, I'm going to die.
1: Oh, that's a good point, because it does get cold in the desert as well at night. So that, that's an excellent point. Hard place to live, really.
2: Uh, you know, uh, Las Vegas is in a desert. All you got to do is transport in, you know, a couple hundred billion dollars billion worth of casinos and uh, water, and you're good.
1: Speaking of cold, Val Kilmer would lay on a bed of ice in order to have the shivers and look pale and stuff for his deathbed
0: scene. Really? Yeah. Wow. That is a cool thing.
2: Okay, the other thing that I thought was really cool about Kilmer is you know, he doesn't know how to play the piano, or he didn't at that point in time. He learned how to play that one piece by Chopin.
0: I love that scene.
2: He practiced that for, he took him like six weeks. He just learned, he just learned how to play that piece. Because he doesn't know how to play the piano. That's very cool. And one more, how much I love Val Kilmer and his uh, abilities, is when him, him doing the knuckle rolling with the, uh, yes. the chips. Uh, that's something of a, uh, something he does in more than one movie. In Top Gun, he does it with a pen. And I think it's uh, with real genius. He does it with quarters.
1: Did they make mention of the fact that, in addition to his talents of music and gambling and gunslinging, that he's also a dentist? I don't know. Did they mention that?
2: No,
0: I don't. They go it. They definitely do it in White Herb.
1: I was wondering what made him Doc Holiday, and that it's because he's a dentist. So uh, that's how he got his name, Doc. I was curious about that, and I looked that up, being that this is a real guy. So
2: very cool. I had no idea. I did like. I remember that in
0: Wyatt Earp, he was a dentist. Uh, that they mentioned that, but I don't think that comes up at all in tombstone. I feel like. Are you ashamed of your profession, Wyatt Earp? I was a dentist. I was not ashamed of being a dentist.
1: <laughs> what do you guys think about the soundtrack here? Talking about the Chopin in it, but uh, what about what about the rest of the, as a whole?
2: To me, the I was you know I was paying attention, trying as hard as I could on this watch through to pay attention to that, and, and I have to say I just feel like it's you know it's scored well. And they, they do just a really good job of, like, using music at the, and at the right time. So, for example, in the beginning scene when the uh, priest comes out and starts saying the line about Pale Horse uh, that will come, uh, quoting the Bible, when Johnny Ringo just shoots the priest in the head. And, they, like, right when that happens, they do, like, like right as he's about to do that, they just, like, right then, it's, they, when they have music come on. Like, I thought everything was just really well-timed. It, it, whoever whoever edited it and put it all together did an excellent job. Whether it was Cosmetis, Kurt Russell, you know, a slew of people, I think they really brought it together because honestly, when I'm watching it, I'm not paying attention to the music. I'm just letting the music kind of guide me through what's going on. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: I was curious. I know you guys have both watched this one more than me. Fry, is this something that gets in your head and you'll hum to yourself for a week?
0: No, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's used as a tool to... You know, progress and uh, show emotion, but I, I, it's not something that I'm like. Oh, I've got the tombstone music stuck in my head again.
1: Yeah, I I agree. It was serviceable, but uh, I I didn't have that epic nature to it. that I thought maybe it would because I mean, there's some westerns that do have some amazing soundtracks out there. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith was originally attached to the score for this film, but he had to quit due to other conflicts. And so Goldsmith recommended Bruce Broughton to do the score of the film part. So, yeah, Bruce Broughton did ended up doing the score for the film.
2: I think he does a good job. I mean, compared to all of the other things I love about this movie, it's not probably in the first 15 things I'd mention. Right. Being honest. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It means he just like this wasn't his the, the score wasn't it, this wasn't a movie where the score was supposed to shine. The score was supposed to be the sixth man, you know. Like, set, set screens and rebound.
1: I felt like there's moments of tension that this movie doesn't do. Again, going back to, say, say for instance, the the fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, or uh, good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, there's some great scenes where the tension's coming up at a conflict that you know is coming, which is something that a lot of Westerns uh, do really well. They milk this tension of, like, this showdown that's about to come. And there are tense moments in this. Uh, whether it be the shootout between uh, the unveiling that Doc Holliday is there to fight with Ringo, or whether it be the uh, you know the shootout in town, the, the OK Corral shootout, I mean, I didn't feel like there was build up in a crescendo and uh, delivery of a climax in the music. And so while I said it's serviceable, I do find myself sitting there saying like this is a this is an area where there could be some
2: improvement. I think that part of that though is that the crescendo is built up so much more. Of the dialogue, particularly with Val Kilmer's dialogue being, I think, honestly, the driving force in so many spots, you know, the scene with him and Johnny Ringo when Ringo's drunk and is like, I want your blood. And like, and Doc Holliday's like, you know, that's that's my game. That's just my game. And then they're all like, oh, well, we can't let Doc Holliday kill Johnny Ringo when he's drunk. So all the cowboys grab him because they know that he's too drunk and he'd lose in that fight. Right. I think that that's how the dialogue builds that up because then when, you know, he, he's expecting Kurt Russell to be coming out from that tree and instead it's Doc Holliday and he delivers this that amazing line of, "Why well, Johnny Ringo, you look like somebody just walked right over you or like you look like a ghost just walked right over your grave. Like, oh my God, like that tension from those earlier scenes between those two. And so much of the rest of the fighting hadn't involved them up to that point, right? Yes. So that's what I thought made it – that's why I think that the score did a good job of getting out of the way because I feel like the tension was really built up in the dialogue.
1: I like the uh, – I was just playing <laughs> and he's like – I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't.
0: <laughs> that was like – seriously, if that were me, I'd have been like, oh, sh-. <laughs> yeah. Uh no, that that was my favorite part of that that back and forth between those. I was just clowning and that's all. I wasn't
2: <laughs> How do you even classify those scenes? Because to me, like when I was thinking about best quotes, there were more than once when it's Ringo and Holiday talking that I'm like, Well this whole scene is the best quote. Like the last Thirty seconds of dialogue is all one great quote back and forth between these two, <laughs> like that happened at least twice in that movie. I it, just phenomenal, like that scene right there, obviously being one of them, and the, the Latin scene I think being the other. Yeah, you're right.
0: So it's time for look for this, Brian. Do you have any look for this moments? I do. Uh, this is actually about Stephen Lang. So you have Ike Clanton, who is probably the, the third most notable cowboy in here. And uh, he really likes this sort of, this type of movie. Uh, he was uh, Pickett in Gettysburg. He actually switches his uh, Confederate focus to uh, Stonewall Jackson in the movie uh, Gods and Generals. And he's also, <laughs> he goes kind of a little bit further outside the box with uh, Colonel Korich in uh, Avatar.
1: Oh, oh, really? Oh, I did not connect all of that until now. I'm glad you connected those dots to me somehow.
0: Yeah, so Ike, Ike Clanton in this is actually the main bad guy from Avatar.
1: Nice. Not Giovanni Ribisi. Not the guy who's well, getting unobtainium, which is still a terrible name.
0: The the military bad guy.
2: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, I have to say, for being a movie that made so much money... I have never even once considered rewatching that movie again, and I'm never around people that are like, "Oh, you know what we
0: should do? We should rewatch Avatar."
1: Well, you should because the sequel is going to be on its way.
0: They they've actually penned in four of them. Oh, yep. Because James Cameron's
1: <laughs> really testing it out with like his name is James Cameron. Yes, <laughs> you want more of this, don't you? And Andrew's Andrew's sitting there going like, "I didn't really
0: ask for any more of that." <laughs> No budget too steep, no sea too deep. Who's that? It's him, James Cameron. Like, hey, I'm, I, if he wants
2: to do, you know, other good stuff, that's great. But honestly, Avatar was just not really worth it.
1: So what you're saying, you'd rather have another three movies of Titanic?
2: Is that what you're asking for?
0: I think what we're saying is we really need another Hurt Locker. <laughs> I
2: think that I'd rather see James Cameron maybe do like... A live-action He-Man remake. That's what we could do. J-Man, James, You know what he should do? He should do Aquaman. That's <laughs> okay. A, that's yeah, an Entourage joke. Oh, I
1: directs, thought you were going with the fact that he did The Abyss.
0: Sorry. No,
2: no, no. He directs Aquaman in Entourage.
0: Okay. And for the people, 2021 brings Masters of the Universe, the live-action He-Man movie by Aaron Nee.
1: So, uh, do, Andrew, do you have any look for this moment?
2: I guess it would be Jason Priestley's character. I thought that I would probably say that the best romantic relationship in the movie is between Jason Priestley and Billy Zane. Yeah, huh? Like they they seem to probably have the healthiest relationship of all the couples.
1: I guess. uh... Wait, Virgil and his wife are actually—they're
2: pretty solid.
0: I still have one good arm to love you with.
2: The reason why it explained that they were together was that he was a pimp and she—that's why she was a prostitute, forty years younger than him.
1: That is true, but they do—they did, did seem like—I mean, she wasn't done with it, She's like, "Oh, your arm's busted up. I'm out."
2: Uh, that's
1: it's true. Like, okay. No, but that's a good point, though. Yeah, yeah, we we did we did we did declare her as a as a hooker wife. So, yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: I feel like if we had like a a broader listenership, that we'd be getting crucified for the hooker wife thing on this episode. <laughs>
2: Wouldn't we just be saying they're one of Henry Hooker's wives? Hey, there you go.
0: We do now. That's the thing. So um,
1: uh, so my look for this moment is going to be Virgil and Morgan were not actually shot on the same night in real life. In fact, Virgil was ambushed and wounded on December 28th of 1881. Warrants were issued for Ike and Phil Clanton. So this is according to arrest records. And uh, the charges were then dropped due to lack of evidence. Morgan was shot playing pool at 10.50 p.m. on March 18th in 1882. So that's a good four months later. He died in about an hour after the shooting. And uh, Pete Spence, Frederick Bode, and Frank Stitwell, and Indian Charlie Cruz, uh, and one other individual were charged as the suspects of that shooting. A judge could not indict them because the primary witnesses uh, was Spencer's wife. And according to the law, a spouse cannot be compelled to testify against the spouse. And the Cowboys went free because
0: it was the Wild West. And law don't play around here. <laughs> Not long man. Law don't go around here.
1: Yeah, sorry, yeah. Law don't go around here. Yeah. Savvy. <laughs> yeah. S- separate, separate situations in real life. But uh, hey, good movie telling.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's one thing is you definitely, do if you watch this movie and you're expecting this to be a play-by-play of historical accuracy, it's not. They tried to get a lot of things right. But at the end of the day, Kurt Russell was trying to make a movie that flowed. And that you'd want to rewatch, and that got
0: done.
1: Yeah, and I think it was Kubrick. You and I did the Shining episode, Andrew, and he said, uh, you know, realistic is nice, but interesting is more important. Yep,
2: and I think that that Tombstone, as particularly compared to Wyatt Earp, is way more interesting. Uh, as just a comparison, I've you know watched Tombstone at least fifty times. I think I've watched Wyatt Earp six.
0: I've been guilty of fast forwarding through like the first hour of Wyatt Earp. Like you only need to see why Wyatt Earp is the way Wyatt Earp is so many times before you can kind of get to the meat of uh, Dodge City and then go from there. And and that's no disrespect. I I think it's in terms of a fictional biography movie, Wyatt Earp is is a strong piece and I I have never regretted having both of these movies, you know, as as options. I've even put together what I would have done in terms of casting if I could steal people from both movies and kind of put together a a stronger uh, lineup, in my opinion. And yeah, I don't know, man. This is a lot of fun to tinker with.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think it's time to go to my favorite part of the show. Andrew, are you ready to hand out some awards? I am. Let's start with you. MVP.
2: Okay, Uh, this is really tough for me i think this is the toughest award to hand out because i know what kurt russell's contribution is but it's got to be but i at the end of the day i had to go with val kilmer because he's that there are t-shirts tons of t-shirts made with quotes primarily his quotes kurt russell has like two quotes doc holliday has like eight quotes and every day when I'm on Facebook, you know, there's always like t-shirts being advertised that say like, I'm your Huckleberry or you're no Daisy at all. You know, like there's just so much here from him that it's gotta be Val Kilmer, but no disrespect to Kurt Russell.
0: All right, Brian MVP. Yeah, definitely Val Kilmer. I mean, he, you know, like Andrew said at the beginning of this, you know, he steals this movie. You, you want to see the story furthered, but it, in the end, I, at least in my head, like you're kind of just waiting for the next awesome Val Kilmer scene.
1: Well, I'm also going to go with Val Kilmer. It's a clean sweep, and now I'm starting to get why. Again, I'm I'm gonna I'll come around uh, to Val Kilmer. I warmed up to him a lot in this movie. He was great in this movie. Not just good,
2: great. I think we just need to clockwork orange you with Val Kilmer, and you'll be okay.
0: You know that's funny you bring that up, Andrew, because I threatened to do that to one of my employees and some movies yesterday. So I'm I'm glad we're on the same page on just forcing people to watch things that we like.
1: Please don't put hooks on my eyelids. I'll <laughs> I watch movies
0: willingly.
2: <laughs> we'll see. At least At least know that Kurt Russell wouldn't do that because he's a libertarian. Uh.
1: So best supporting actor, Andrew. I'm gonna
2: go with uh, Johnny Ringo Bean. How do you pronounce his last name? Michael Bean. Bean. Okay. Uh, You know, he's he's somebody that I'm a big fan of. Uh, I think that he is phenomenal in Navy SEALs and he's also in The Rock. He's uh, the leader of the group that gets slaughtered. You know, he's he's again the leader of a group of Navy SEALs and they get slaughtered. Uh, I thought he just did a phenomenal job in this of making it believable that he was that badass that he really was ready, you know, like that he was better than Wyatt Earp and that really the only person that could beat him was Doc Holiday. And, you know, he has quite a few scenes that I feel that he if it weren't for Val Kilmer, he would have stolen the scene. But you know, he at least held his own with Val Kilmer, which to me is saying something.
1: Okay. I like it. That's a great pick. Brian, what about you? It's the best supporting actor.
0: I went with a bad guy also, but a little bit different direction. I went with Powers Booth. Um, as kind of the the mastermind of the uh, the Cowboys, you really see him basically save the gang from dying sooner than it did. Like if he did, if he made a couple different decisions at different times, then it they could have just had it all out at once, and it wouldn't have been this you know long drawn out vengeance piece. So I'm not giving him kudos for being a good person, but in terms of seeing the writing on the wall a few times, he definitely, I, I feel like he acted through the part of that leadership as a terrible person. Does that make sense? Sorry.
1: He looks like he really enjoys being a bad guy. And that's always a good kind of bad guy.
0: Uh,
2: <clears throat> that, Fry. That, that was actually how who my final two for best supporting actor came down to. Uh, but the scene that caused me to pick, being or you know johnny ringo over him is when they're at the play and he goes and they're just seeing the you know the devil makes the deal with faust and Mm -hmm. curly bill goes hey what i'd do is i'd make that deal and then i'd crawfish that devil right in the ass and he turns to johnny ringo and he goes what would you do and his response is what sold it for me that he deserved best supporting actor i already already did it And I am yeah. just and that look on his face when he says that is just like, you understand being this type of person, you've already made your deal with the devil. Just phenomenal. But agreed, great, two great choices.
1: And I technically picked Michael Bean for my best supporting actor as well, but for variety's sake, I'm going to give a nod to Avatar's very own Stephen Lang.
0: Excellent. Good. Good.
1: But yeah, I just liked him in this movie. He did a great job. So much so that I didn't identify him as who he was later. So the next one, hidden gem, Andrew.
2: Uh, Thought uh, Michael Rooker, like I said early on, his scene with uh, the you know the very initial scene where uh, you know that they're at the wedding and it looks like most likely what's going to happen is that they are going to do inappropriate things with the new bride and the look on his face just right just that one scene is enough that then later on when he's like, nope, I'm quitting the Cowboys. And it's very clear that if you quit the Cowboys, you kind of got to join the people against them because otherwise they're just going to kill you anyways. Right. So it makes sense. But just that one little, you know, he's not in it that much. He doesn't have a lot of talking lines, but I think he's, you know, you know, Yondu does a great job.
3: Yeah,
1: I was uh, I was having fun except for the uh, the murder, the plundering and the rape parts. But uh, yeah, Brian, Hidden Jim
0: just a key and back in Henry hooker played by Charlton Heston. I thought that was a good nod to a, uh, veteran of Western film franchises, uh, just how they worked him in there. And, you know, he got to, he got to say a, a little bit of swagger piece on, uh, on his own, on his own. So anyway, I, yeah, I just thought it was cool that they had that Charlton Heston cameo. I'm going to go with the hidden
1: gem of the, uh, priest of Pedro Amaren The, uh, he's the priest at the beginning. Uh, I knew that these bad guys were really bad when they took him out, but I liked his uh, I liked him standing up to them and uh, limited little little part here but right in the very beginning, but I, I'm gonna give it to the priest.
0: Nice. That's a that's that's a shout out. Is he from anything that we knew? might now He said something about a sick horse. By the way, that
2: guy's also had some funny stuff too. I've seen him the guy who says the
0: Spanish
1: is worse than your English. <laughs> He's also so Pedro Armorender is uh, he's, he's, sorry, he's got another R in his name. It makes me have a hard time saying this, but Armarenderez?
2: Armarenderez?
1: Yeah, Armarenderez. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, he's in License to Kill from 1989 as well, which is a Bond movie.
2: Wait, was that one of those ones that we forget was made?
0: It was a Dalton one. No, okay, okay, I mean, so it was, it was, one it it was a
2: Dalton from 89. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
1: He's, okay. in, Once Upon a Ti- yeah, he's yes. in Once Upon a Time in Mexico and Mask of Zorro as well, the okay. Mexican. But
2: yeah, that's one of those Bond movies that we just kind of pretend wasn't made, kind of like, uh, you know.
1: The Hulk movie. Oh, this is my turn to shame you. No, all Bond is good
0: Bond. I, uh, I, I, I'll watch any Bond movie, but not all Bond movies are created equal.
1: Oh, I, I, I'll take the worst Bond movie on a on any day, and I'll I'll be happy with it. Yeah, give me Die Another Day or Octopussy, and I'll still be a happy camper.
0: All right. Look, I'm not against the, the 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 statement that give me a bad Bond movie and I'll watch it. I'm 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 with you there. I just don't think that there there are some lows in the franchise. All I'm saying. All right. So, recast Andrew.
2: I don't think uh, the guy that plays Bn, uh, the town marshal or the county marshal, yeah. the aristocrat guy. Yeah. I get what they're doing there, and. I think he's okay, but I feel like that if you got somebody – actually, you know who I think would have played him great is the person that was originally supposed to play uh, Doc Holliday. They originally were going for Willem Dafoe,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and
2: I could see Willem Dafoe playing BN as much better than the guy who plays BN.
0: You know who I always liked in this position of the the dirty cop, Um, and I'm going to blank on his name. But uh, the guy who plays the sheriff in Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis?
2: No, I don't know.
0: So it's Bruce Dern, and his character from uh, Last Man Standing was Sheriff.
2: We all know who Bruce Dern
0: is. Okay. Okay,
2: Okay. well, then I would like to actually toss in an additional recast. I'm not a big fan of the uh, White Herbs Hooker Wife. (laughs) Maddie? Yeah, Maddie. Uh, I thought that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer would be a much improvement of similar time period and, and uh, similar look, but much better actors.
1: Uh, but uh, Dana Wheeler Nicholson, uh, so you're not a fan of her. Okay, I, I, I guess, uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to give her a pass because she was in Fletch, and I, I just like that one. So She did underscore the severity of uh, an opioid
2: addiction. So I'll rewatch Fletch and tell you what I think.
1: Okay. My recast is going to be Bill Paxton uh, for Morgan Earp. And I'm going to put Robert Patrick in his part there. Uh, Robert Patrick's pretty busy around this time. He's in Fire in the Sky and Last Action Hero. But I'm going to say he has – I'm going to pretend that he has time to squeeze one more in there. So,
0: What's the uh, what's the age difference between the two of them?
1: Robert Patrick was born in 58 and Paxton was born in 55. So there's a three-year difference and Robert Patrick's
2: three years younger. I think that'll work. Okay. Yeah,
1: that'd work. I like Robert Patrick, and I think this would be a
2: good place for him. Just so everybody knows, talking about Robert Patrick is the uh, bad guy in Terminator 2.
1: Yep. Correct. Yep. Yeah, and he's also uh, in, again, Fire in the Sky came out that year as well. He's also in X-Files. He's, he's in X-Files Russ, as well. I'm telling uh, you,
2: you just say the bad guy in Terminator 2, and everybody knows exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. I had no idea who Robert Patrick was until just now, when I went and Googled, I was like, oh, why didn't you just say the bad guy from Terminator 2?
1: You mean you don't recognize his signature role from Spy Kids in 2001?
0: <laughs>
2: I think I can safely say I've avoided seeing Spy Kids. Brian, recast.
0: Uh, so I also went down a different uh, road for this one. I This kind of goes into my picking my favorite cast for like a Wyatt Earp co-movie. And uh, Joanna Paula plays uh, Big Nose Kate in this one. And I think she did a great job. Uh, Isabella Rossellini plays her in uh, Wyatt Earp. So I definitely, this is not my recast. My recast is going to be Joanna Going plays the actress that Wyatt Earp eventually falls for in Wyatt Earp. And I like her a lot better than Dana Delaney.
1: So I have nothing against Dana Delaney? She's charming, I guess.
0: But Joanna Going is hot. Is or was? Hash, hashtag no disrespect to Dana Delaney.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that uh, all of the above is good here. Andrew, what's your best shot of the movie?
2: Best shot of the movie is at the shootout at the OK Corral when it looks, you know, there's that real tense moment. And then Val Kilmer wink at one of the uh, brothers. with a Oh,
0: my God.
2: And that right there, just, just that wink. Is just then followed followed right then by, oh my god, Kurt Russell, wider up nose, everything's about to go down. Just thought it was amazingly shot, and then again, they let Bal Kilmer be the, the driving force there because it's him winking at the guy that makes him pull his gun, which makes everybody else pull their gun. No, oh. that's my best shot.
1: This is at the end of the face off with him and Ringo?
0: No, no, no. This was at the, the
2: shootout at the OK Corral.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank When, he, you.
2: when got he's, it. Got the, he's got the shotgun uh, and he's near the horse, right? Like, we've got the, she's got the shotgun and he winks.
1: At the, Get, and, now yeah. I got it. Yes, yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay, Corral, what did it for me? Uh, Brian, best shot.
0: So, yeah, my, uh, my best shot's going to be Kurt Russell as he requotes quotes the uh, Spanish priest when he's standing on the train platform and just yells, you tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me.
1: Yeah, powerful moment. For me, the best shot's got to be when Doc Holliday is approaching Ringo. When you think it's Wyatt, then it turns out out of the shadows that it's actually Doc Holliday. That lighting transition is really good. And I want to also give a nod to, there's a scene where Wyatt is walking down through uh, a front porch area along a boardwalk towards Josephine on the boardwalk. And he goes from being in silhouette and his head turns up. And as he moves into the light, he's illuminated. And it's a very dramatic fashion. And so... They had done that once before in the movie with Wyatt, and then later on in the movie they take that same entry kind of approach. But then it's Doc Holiday. So really like that.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a really good point on the, the that lighting transition of it being a really good way of setting that scene up. Because as I was rewatching it, I was noticing that same thing that even still the even though I know that it's Doc holiday the amount of time until you actually see that it's his face is incredibly well done because it really sets up that surprise for Johnny Rigan.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I was surprised too. Change one thing.
2: Andrew. Fry, you got to go first on this one.
0: Okay. Uh, Russell, you, you actually uh, said this earlier t- uh, during the podcast today. I want less montages and more full-length fights. Like that whole... Fast forward, you know, I see a red sash, I kill a man wearing it. I get it, but let's extend that. let's let's have some more some more long-term vengeance happening.
2: That's a great choice. What about you, Andrew? I think I just honestly, in similar vein, I could actually use for it to be longer or like, I need a tombstone too. you know what I mean? I want more. When I watch that movie, I'm like, okay, so when am I gonna get to see Val Kilmer play Doc Holliday again? Because clearly we just need to get somebody, you know, making up a, you know, like, I, like what should have been his next role after this were, like, the imaginary Doc Holliday movies. And he just plays that character doing stuff and it's just completely made up and everybody would watch it. Like, that, we could have been, that was like billions of dollars lost because I just wanna see more of it. That's the one Prequel cool Doc Holiday movie is where you need that? I think we needed it 25 years ago. I'm not so sure that...
0: We'll see how Val does in Top Gun 2. I have I have worries.
2: <laughs> it might change one thing.
1: is going to be Wyatt seems like a jerk for just riding with Josephine in the woods and stuff like that. And I mean, earlier, you can tell... That you can always know that he's, he's tempted. I mean, anybody will be tempted by somebody who you either connect with or that you think is attractive or something like that. But, I mean, we... Would like Wyatt a lot better if he really didn't seemingly slowly give into that resistance a lot better. I just would like it better if he didn't have a wife in the story or whatever. It made Josephine the other woman, so to speak. So
0: I Sure, about but you, you know they're not married, right? Yeah, she took his name, but they, they talk about it in the movie where it's like, do you actually consider yourself a married man? Like, they they never actually got married. She just goes by Maddie Arp.
1: Sorry, it's the hero of the movie, so you want the hero to be a little squeakier clean than that. I do, anyways.
0: Best quote of the movie, Andrew.
2: I feel like it's just got to come down to I'm your huckleberry.
1: That seems to be the, the yeah that that tends to be the the dominant one for sure.
2: Uh, it's interesting that people there was debate for a while as to whether or not the line is I'm your huckleberry or I'm your huckled bearer because what that means is they were using huckled casks, whatever that means, at the time. So it's basically saying I'm going to be the pallbearer because I'm going to kill you is what people thought that the line was. But there's actually, somebody went back, found one of the scripts, and if the line is actually in the script, I'm your Huckleberry.
1: Well, a Huckleberry can mean also, like you said, it's a term for a kind of pallbearer who carries a coffin and the actual actual gravesite, and it's their job to stay sober and to watch and to make sure what's called a grave bell doesn't ring to make sure they didn't bury somebody alive because in Victorian era, people had this big fear of being buried alive, so they stuck a string around your finger and then up out of the uh, the grave up through a little pipe so that you could ring a bell uh, if you were actually buried alive so it's not a fun job, but saying that is like a threat and saying like I'll be there to put you in your grave and watch and make sure that you don't come out
0: well,
2: nice. I think he effectively uh, does that.
0: Best quote, Brian. I went a little bit more whimsical on this because it's, it's not the best quote in the movie, but it's definitely the thing that I have quoted the most from the movie. Curly Bill stumbling out of the opium den. and He just says, I feel great. I feel Capital.
2: <laughs> I, I can attest that and that i have the lie he quotes the most I, from that movie
0: i have stumbled out of so many bars in morgantown west virginia <laughs> saying i feel capital
1: just don't shoot the marshal while you're at it
0: <laughs> never had that occur but definitely use that line a lot
1: my best quote so turkey creek jack says doc you ought to be in bed why are you doing this anyway doc says wide up is my friend and uh he's like oh i got lots of friends and Doc's like, I don't.
0: Yeah, that's that is also one of the best lines of the movie. I I've, I I back up everything we have said here because you're right. That was, that was a very very serious answer that he gave, and that deadpan look that he does when he delivers stuff like that, the same way he does. Like I wasn't, you know. It's just the way he does that is so chilling.
2: A couple uh, honorable mentions there is. Uh... I'm in my prime by Doc Holliday, uh, just the way he delivers that. Yeah, you look it. And then right after the fight, when Wyatt Earp turns to b and says, I don't think I'll let you arrest us today, b That was just (laughs) like, who said, like, I don't think I'll let you arrest us today. Like, it was just so so badass of a line.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like when Superman lets you put cuffs on him. It's like, yeah, it's more of a symbolic kind of thing.
0: <laughs> and you, and you, music lover, you are next. It's a freaking drunk piano player. You're so drunk, you're probably seeing double. I've got two guns, one for each of you.
2: The, the, the other, it's not exactly a quote in the sense, but just wired, getting up in the middle when they're surrounded at the creek, and him just going, <gasps> no. No. No, no, basically, and then going out and wading into the creek, getting shot at five times, the guy misses, and then killing Curly Bill. I appreciate that because then when I watch, I think it's uh, Revenge of the Sith, when Palpatine goes, no, 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 like, it reminds me of that. (laughs) (laughs) But I I thought that that was just a great delivery of the line uh, that, you know, I thought thought Kurt Russell really does a great job. He was definitely the Scotty Pippen to... uh, come Cummler's Jordan in this one.
0: Uh, And
1: another one that I just like was the, I may have overstated the severity of my condition.
0: (laughs) Then again, you might be the Antichrist.
2: Yeah, (laughs) That one, yeah. Uh, uh, When uh, he goes, uh, oh, Johnny Tyler, I forgot you were here. You may go now. You may
0: go. (laughs) <laughs> uh,
2: leave the shotgun <laughs> leave that shit <shotgun. laughs> oh that was so great what a power play <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, and, and then when uh, Billy Bob Thornton says after he's you know pulled the shotgun ready to go at Wyatt Earp but sees Doc Holiday realizes they're friends realizes oh my gosh both of these men can kill me he says thank you upon leaving his own shotgun there
3: for
2: Wyatt Earp <laughs> As in, like, is... thank you that you let me live
1: yeah that was that was amazing Actually, I realized that I skipped over myself for best scene bar bluffing between Doc Holiday and Ringo was another one that had so many good lines between Doc Holliday and Ringo on that one. Uh, it's the one where the cup spinning takes place and Brian's described it perfectly, but that was my best scene.
2: Awesome. High school, uh, I, I took Latin. And so I actually had learned at the time, I don't remember now, all of the uh, Latin phrases, the back and forth between the two of it.
1: Yeah. So, Brian, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? Let's do it. So next time, we're going to go for the Coen brothers here. Option one, No Country for Old Men, 2007. Violence and mayhem ensue after a hunter stumbles upon a drug deal gone wrong and more than $2 million in cash near the Rio Grande. Option two, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? from 2000. In the deep south during the 1930s, three escaped convicts search for a hidden treasure while a relentless lawman pursues them. And option three, A Serious Man from 2009. Larry Gopnik, a Midwestern physics teacher, watches his life unravel over multiple sudden incidents through seeking meaning and answers amidst his turmoils. He seems to keep sinking. So, Brian, what does it be? No Country for Old Men, O Brother, Where Art Thou, or A Serious Man?
0: I think we're going to go with O Brother, Where Art Thou. Uh, That's going to be a stirring uh, talk about soundtrack.
1: Yeah, that that's about be- that. See that, that that's a more epic soundtrack that you'll go around singing for months, uh, or at least weeks. anyway after watching it. So yeah, good 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 choice. I look forward to that one.
2: Still not better than Top Gun.
1: <laughs> hmm. I don't know about <laughs> that, but I... <laughs> um, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything you would like to plug?
2: Uh, no, but I just well, okay. There's one shout out I wanted to give uh, to a friend of mine from uh, college. Uh, back then we were living together and we got HBO. And it was when HBO would have uh, some movies on just constantly between HBO one, two and three. And it happened to be tombstone. And after four days in a row of me watching tombstone, just constantly he comes home and he goes something else. You just have to put on something else for today and for tomorrow. I just can't watch tombstone again. I'm not saying you can't put it on in the future. I just need a day up. I just need two days away from tombstone. So, uh, I'm really uh, happy that that ended up paying off and got to do this podcast. So you know, thank you to my buddy Josh for uh, putting up with me back then on Tombstone. So now I get to talk about it so much here.
1: Fantastic. Really good choice there. And I now appreciate the song Doc Holiday by Volbeat a lot more thanks to this episode and watching this as well. So, right. so it's the moment of truth on a five-star scale, half-star intervals. Andrew, what would you rate this movie?
2: For me, this is definitely a six out of five stars. I realize that your system doesn't handle capable of that, but that's how much I love this movie. It is rewatchable. I've never sat down with somebody and watched this, had them watch this movie and then go, "That sucked." Anybody I know that's seen it is like, okay, yeah, that's a really good movie. So definitely five out of five stars for me.
0: Solid. Fried. I'm giving it a five. I love this movie. Um, We've done maybe three movies so far in this podcast that are just easy rewatches for me. This is definitely one of them. This is, this is a movie that got me into movies. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the movie that got me into movies, but it's definitely one of them.
2: I think we're in firm agreement here. As usual, you and I seem to see, seem to see eye to eye and we both love this movie. It's, it's a fantastic movie. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, he really does quote Curly Bill a lot.
1: Uh, as for me, I'm gonna give this movie four stars. I don't have, <gasps> the, yeah, I don't have the experience with it that you guys do, but I really enjoyed it. So uh, I, this is not, this is in my top five westerns. It's not my top western. I, I'm still gonna reserve that for, uh, you know, Shane as my top western, but uh, it, it's in my top five. And uh, so maybe I like westerns a little bit better now, thanks to this movie.
2: Well, if you do like this, other uh, similar westerns that i recommend highly are young guns and young guns too
1: well i will look forward to catching those at some point because i've not seen any of those westerns is one of my biggest genre gaps so uh, i will certainly have to check that out as well at some point so uh thanks so much though
2: you're very welcome i'll try not to i'll try to not hold that four star rating against you
1: <laughs> thank you brian thank you and Thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian?
0: Fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. In a gunfight, you need to take your time in a hurry.